I want to thank you for uh, investing in your pastors. This week, Pastor Tad and I were at the Simeon Trust Workshop in San Antonio, going over uh, the book of 1 Samuel, and uh, it was a blessing. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. I'm not going to preach from 1 Samuel, but just an important note, we we had our missions speaker last week, and so our focus has been on missions, but there's something very important that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 28. Saul was the first king of Israel, and uh, the people had asked God to give them a king like all the nations. And the way God judges us is he gives us what we ask for because we think we're smarter than him, okay? We find that in Romans chapter 1, right? He gives them over, okay? So God gives us what we ask for when we reject him. And so they ask for a king like all the nations and... uh, Samuel the prophet was upset, and God said, look, Samuel, it's okay. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting who? They're rejecting God as their king. Okay? And he says, so give them a king like all the nations. And, and so they give them, he, God gives them Saul, and Saul is just like all the nations, and he disobe, disobeys God. He fails to lead the people in complete obedience back in chapter 15. And God says, I'm going to judge you for this, for your incomplete obedience, and your kingdom will not stand. And when we get to chapter 28, God's not answering Saul anymore, and he can't find him. And Saul completes his transformation into a king like all the nations when what was forbidden in Deuteronomy to go to mediums for direction, Saul does. And he calls up... Samuel from the grave, and God allows this to happen. But if you go to uh, 1 Samuel 28, verse 18, is where Samuel the prophet delivers the final message to Saul. He says, Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. And then he adds something. Because he's already said that back in chapter 15. And we find this with the word, moreover. So here's the new information that we're given. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. And then he says it again. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. You will be judged with the king you desire. They asked for a king over them, like all the nations. And we're told in the New Testament that the true king of all the nations is who? Of this world. Satan, right? What did Satan make an offer to Jesus? Worship me and I'll give you all the nations, right? So ultimately, you can choose Satan as your king, Or you can choose Jesus as your king. But choose wisely because you will be judged with your king. Those who follow Satan 
will in the end, in the book of Revelation, be cast into the lake of fire, which was prepared for who? The devil and his angels, right? But if you choose Jesus, here's the good news. If you choose to follow Jesus as your king, okay, repent of doing things your own way, and repent of doing things Satan's way, and turn and follow the king and be on his mission, then you'll be judged with King Jesus. Now here's the deal. Jesus went to the cross and he was judged as the king, right? And he was murdered unjustly and buried. But God is a God of justice. And so he raised Jesus from the dead because he was innocent. And he resurrected him to be seated at his right hand. And if you will repent of your sins and follow Jesus as your king, you will be judged with your king. His death will pay for your sins. And his righteousness will be your righteousness. And unlike Saul, who failed to lead the people in obedience to God, Jesus will lead you in obedience to him. It's what he does. He says, I will save my people from their sins. It's in his name. You see, God's judgment is to give us what we want. But when we're one of his children and we're in sin, God exposes our sin. Because he's not going to let you stay in it. That's his mercy. He won't let us stay there. He says, no, no, stop doing that. Get back to following me. And so look at Acts chapter 1. So if you're here today and you've never repented of your sins and followed Jesus Christ as your Savior, then I encourage you to do so today. And if you've made that decision, your king says, be baptized. Tell the world by being publicly baptized and committing to a local church that will oversee your spiritual health. Okay? So obedience to the king begins right away. Be baptized. But then we're to be about his business. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Now our king has a mission. And his mission is, is he wants us to call people out of this world, out from under King Satan, to his kingship, because one day he's going to crush the head of Satan. And this world will be judged and remade. And we're in what's called the last days, when Jesus is standing as the king and he is beckoning through his people for people to repent of their ways and come under his kingship so that they can avoid the final judgment. And he tells us in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jerusalem, for to say, how can we obey this command? Jerusalem is locally. So we are to tell others to be witnesses of Jesus gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection to be king of this world. We're to be his witnesses here locally in Palmhurst and McAllen and Mission, Edinburgh. And then Judea was to go on out. Jerusalem was the center's capital city. Then Judea was the area surrounding Jerusalem. So we could say regionally. We need to be reaching people in the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas. We can do that by 
going out to them, stepping out a little bit further than our local region, or we can be sending or helping churches that are local here in the region. Then he says, Samaria. Now, Now we're getting even further out. We can think nationally, so we can think Texas, right? Texas is a big state. I remember when Courtney was a senior, we drove 12 hours to play an in-state playoff game. That's crazy, right? But that's what we do here in Texas. But we think in Samaria, we can think nationally. And then to the end of the earth, we can think globally. We, we need, we've got this mission that Jesus has gave us to reach locally, but beyond our reach. The command that we're given to fulfill requires that someone go out of these non-local regions and make disciples. And God uses people to accomplish his purposes. And we should all be doing our part to reach people here locally as we tell others about our Savior. But it, it could be that God is moving in your heart this morning to go out from our church and make disciples, maybe regionally maybe nationally, maybe globally. Have you considered it? Has last week's message been playing in your heart? The events when Chris Anderson was here for those few days and he's pointing us back to the Great Commission? Will you pray about it? Could it be that God would use you to go someplace you've never been and make disciples? Now, In order for people to be sent out, they need to be supported so that they can focus on making disciples. And Chris Anderson did a good job of talking about that last week. If you turn over to 3 John, we'll just briefly recap what he he said last week to us. And then, so so I want to talk about why we should support missionaries briefly because he spoke about that a good bit last week, but then practically how we do it here at Faith Baptist Church, practically how you can do it as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We support missionaries because we have a command to fill, and we can't do it ourselves. Okay, we can't do it alone. I think I've mentioned before there was a there was an old DC comic book. There was a character called Omac O M A C One Man Army Corps. You know, just one bad individual, right? <laughs> you could send him in, and he was the only guy you needed. But to fulfill this mission, we got no Omax. We've got to do it together. And so in 3 John, verse 5, we see this command. And he writes there, Beloved. Now that's a singular. So it's to the, to the elder that he is writing to. He said, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. That's a common phrase for missions. They've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we, now, not singular anymore, we, the church ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. The Apostle John commends Gaius for his past behavior in, in supporting 
people for helping these brothers who were unknown to him previously. And he, he loved them. They went back to the Apostle John and testified of his love. And then we see this challenge that Chris Anderson talked about, about sending them off in a manner worthy of God. We don't give them second best. We give them the best because God deserves the best. What's your mission? Are you on mission? Are you giving God your best? Lord willing, next week when we get back into Genesis, and I'm going to resist the temptation to start preaching that message now, but we have Cain who held back the best to be consumed by himself, and we have Abel who gave the first of his flock and the the healthy, the fat of the flock, the good of the flock. He offered that to God. There's a difference in their offerings. What are you offering to God? Is it your best or is is it the leftovers? Well, he says here, you do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. How we treat the brethren is how we treat God, right? When Saul was going about persecuting the church, Jesus kicked him off his donkey, blinded him, and he said, Saul, why do you persecute me? How you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ is how you treat the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a challenge for us, to to give our best sacrificially to others, to help them get the gospel out. Because in verse 7 it says, They've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, from the unsaved people. These brethren who go out in Jesus' name to spread the gospel deserve special treatment because they're going out for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And they don't take support from the unsaved. This is God's business, supported by God's people. And then the challenge for us that Chris left us with, we ought to support people like these, that we can be fellow workers for the truth. We when we, when we support them, we get in on the action, if you will. Their rewards, when they get there to where they're going and they share the gospel, because we have participated in that, we receive reward as well. We ought to support people like these. We support missionaries here at Faith Baptist Church because we have a command to fill. But we also support missionaries because it is commanded and commended in the Scriptures. And we want to be obedient to our king because you will be judged with your king. So choose your king wisely. Now, there's our command. We ought to support missionaries. But today we've got a problem, right? There are billions of people who need to hear the gospel and become disciples to become citizens of God's kingdom under King Jesus. And now that's the bad news. The good news is there's people that are willing to go. There are missionaries called by God to go to many places around the world and make disciples. But the problem that we face is they don't have enough funds to get there. So how do we solve this problem? Different churches have different ways of doing missions support for missionaries. Here at Faith Baptist Church, we have a program that's called Faith Promise Giving. Okay, so here's the practical end. You should be supporting missionaries. I hope you see that this morning. Now we get into the how. How do we at Faith Baptist Church support 
missions. We do it in the same way in the early church. In the early church, the saints were scattered out of Jerusalem because of persecution. And then right after that, so we had a few saints that were left in Jerusalem, but then right after that, there was a famine that came upon all the land. And so the saints that were left in Jerusalem, they were ostracized by their families because they chose Jesus over their families. And they were ostracized by their community because they chose Jesus over their communities. And so they had trouble making money, making a living. And then the famine exacerbated that. And it was just worse for them. And so the churches decided to take up an offering. The, the Gentile churches that had been started decided to take up an offering and send it back to the poor saints in Jerusalem. This was helpful to show a couple of things. Number one, we're all in this together as Christians. But then number two, we're not just a Jewish church, we're a Gentile church, but we're not just a Gentile church, we're also a Jewish church. We're one in Christ. And so this unity is displayed by the love and care of the churches sending this offering back. And it was a big part of Paul's journeys. He would challenge the churches to give to this relief mission. So we take the principles that Paul used in this relief mission, and we use them for supporting missionaries. Okay? So when we get into this, keep in mind, Paul is going to be talking about a relief mission for saints in Jerusalem, but we're going to be thinking, how can we make a plan to support missionaries? Okay. First of all, the plan. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. <clears throat> The plan is that a plurality of churches are going to take an offering. Okay, so multiple churches are going to take up an offering. So in 1 Corinthians 16.1, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So he's already talked to the church in Galatia about this. Now he's talking to the church in Corinth about this. So we have multiple churches getting involved, taking up a collection. As a result of the financial distress of these Christians, Paul made a collection for their aid on his third missionary trip. He also talked to the Romans. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read to you Romans 15, 26. And he mentions Macedonia, which is the book of Thessalonians, and Achaia, that's Corinthians, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. So he's involving all these churches. It's like all you guys get together. So multiple churches from different geographical areas were enlisted to take a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Now, we must note that these churches were of the same doctrine. And if you're in our uh, new members class or if you're interested in church membership here at Faith Baptist Church, come here at 930 next week, meet in the auditorium, and we're going to talk about this. These uh, Churches that are joining together are churches that agree on the core beliefs of the gospel, right? And they have similar convictions as far as churches. That's what we're looking for. Core beliefs 
and convictional beliefs. For us, core beliefs, gospel. There are Christians out there who are not Baptists, but they believe in the core beliefs of the gospel, and we acknowledge that. But in order to be a Baptist, we have convictional beliefs, right? And so we partner with other churches that share our convictional beliefs because we want to plant Baptist churches. And so these churches are going to agree in those convictional areas. Then there's a third category called charity beliefs. These are things that we can agree to disagree with, and we can still be members of the same church. Okay, but we'll get into that in our new members class next week. There's an advertisement for that if you're interested. So they're not going to deny core doctrines of the faith. Many churches cannot support even one missionary fully. We, we would fall in that area, right? But they do have enough money to support someone or several people for small amounts per month. So these churches of like faith and practice is what we say. Churches of like faith and practice take what monies they have and they support missionaries with them. So we partner with other churches in supporting missionaries. And so what we'll have is sometimes we'll have missionaries come through here and they're on what we call deputation, which means that they're trying to gather a bunch of churches to support them for smaller amounts per month so that they can then get to the field. It's a torturous process that I wish we didn't have to put missionaries through, but it's what we do at this time. And they they gather support until they have enough churches that will support them for enough money to get to the field where they can make disciples in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, So that's how that works. As far as multiple churches, we take up an offering, and then we choose certain missionaries to support. There's a list of missionaries on the back table there. As you're going out on my right, there's a list of missionaries that we support. Support them financially. We should support them prayerfully. Now, the particulars of the offering we find in 1 Corinthians 16, verses uh, 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and jump in to verse 2. He says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So this offering, it needs to be planned. It needs to be set aside regularly. Here for these Corinthians, he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. For you, that may be bi-monthly. Whenever you get paid, you may set aside a little bit of money and give it in the offering designated towards missions. Okay? But you plan it. If you fail to plan, you plan to what? Fail, Fail, right? So none of your your money will ever make it to missions if you don't plan to give. Okay? And so make a plan. Make a plan to give to missions and designate it. And when you give it here, uh, Brother Clifton, our treasurer, sets aside those funds and then he makes out checks for all those different missionaries. Then they get that money sent to them. Okay? So you've got a plan. Have a giving plan. If I don't plan to give, then I will not give. So make a plan. 
Number two, it needs to be proportional. He says in verse 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Some of you are more prosperous than others. In other words, you, you make more. You have more expendable income than others. Okay, So as you have funds, you can give of those funds. It may be that you don't have much. That's okay. You may say, I'm going to start out, Pastor, by just giving $5 a month to missions. That's all right. $60 at the end of the year will make a difference. Believe it or not, it will. Start out with five. Then give more. Some of you are making real good money. You're putting a lot of money back. Take some of that money, give it to missions each month. Don't consume all of your funds on yourself and your kids. And for Kim and I, our grandkids. That's the easy thing to do, is to consume our funds on ourselves and the people we love. But what about those people across the world that Jesus loves? Think about what finances you have and how much you could give to reach those people with the gospel of Christ. It should be proportional. Some have the means to give more than others, but God has chosen to bless some folks more than others. Mark chapter 12, if you want to put your finger in 1 Corinthians there and turn over to Mark chapter 12, verse 41. God knows whether you have a lot or a little. Mark 12, 41. This is Jesus when it says, and he sat down. That's Jesus. And he sat down opposite the treasury. So they're at the temple and they're watching where they're taking the offerings. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And that's when Jesus says, hey, wait, guys, guys, pay attention. Lock in. Stop, John, stop bothering other people, telling you're going to call fire down on them. Get over here. Look called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. She was concerned about glorifying God with just the little bit that she had. Beloved, God takes into account how much you make when you give. Everyone is to give in proportion to how much God has blessed them. Now let's take a peek over at 2 Corinthians. Okay, so hopefully you had your finger in 1 Corinthians. Now we'll go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Just to look ahead a little bit, this is the second letter Paul is writing. Apparently, the Corinthians had promised to send a large sum of money. Oh, Paul, don't worry. Put us down for 100000 And it was so much that the other churches were challenged to give more than they were thought they were able to. Okay? But as time approached for Paul to arrive, he was a little concerned that maybe the Corinthians weren't going to deliver on their promised amount. So Paul challenges them to try to fulfill their commitment. And then he assures them that the offering will be protected. And then in 
chapter 9 here, verse 7, he reveals our next principle. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So you should pledge how much you're going to give in your own mind. You don't need to tell me. You don't need to tell Clifton, right? You just need to tell how much when you're offering we should set aside, right, for it. But you should pledge it. And I'm standing here this morning, and I'm urging you to be involved in missions giving. But if you're reluctant, don't give. Don't. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. We don't need your money. Don't be reluctant. And don't feel like you have to. Don't do it because Pastor Harris said. Do it because you love Jesus and you want to obey his command to reach the people he loves in some distant land. If you can't do that, keep it. Consume it on yourself. Okay? Because God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to take pleasure in giving to support people that are going to go tell people about his son. We ought to be able to be happy about that, beloved. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, but cheerfully. Decide what you can give cheerfully in your heart. You determine how much you give, and you can still be cheerful about it. Okay? And I don't know how much that is. Clifton doesn't know how much that is. Pastor Tad doesn't know how much that is. Only you knows how much that is. So you ought to pledge it. Then if you'll turn back to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 3 and 4, we see that it should be protected. It should be safely delivered. It should be safely delivered. Paul says, When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So this is how they would protect an offering back in ancient times. They didn't have electronic transfers. They didn't have Apple Pay or one of these. What's one of these apps? Cash App. Oh, I was expecting a much younger person to answer that question, Barry. Barry is up on the latest apps. Okay, so we didn't have all those ways of giving. And so what would happen is, you know, you got to get it from... Corinth to Jerusalem, and you're giving them a large amount of money, so you would write a letter that had the amount, and so that when they got to Jerusalem, they checked the offering, checked the amount on the letter, and probably send multiple people so they didn't replicate the letter and put a lower amount. You know, there were, there were, this was their way of safeguarding the amount and making sure it got delivered. And Paul even says, hey, look, if you want, you pick who you send, And if you feel like that I should go, I'll go. But we're going to make sure this money that you pledged, that you set aside, that you gave cheerfully, makes it to the people in Jerusalem. So here we have the protection of the offering. How does this happen with missionaries? Well, in order to service missionaries and provide financial integrity, there have been several mission boards that have been created. 
And these mission boards, they have doctrinal statements that make sure that, you know, you can agree with them. Remember we talked about agreeing on the core and the convictional things. They have doctrinal statements that we can look at, make sure we agree with them. And we, we can get the money to them in American dollars, and they can make sure it gets converted efficiently to whatever the money is in the country that they're in. Okay? And so they do that. Mission boards do other things that are very good. They also put aside some funds in case a, a missionary has an emergency situation. They need to come off the field. Just spoke at the pastor's conference to a fellow that was in India. His wife has a crisis pregnancy, and she needs to be, uh, the doctor said she needs to be in the United States. And so their mission board has funds to set aside to make sure that they get back. Uh, other times, other things missions agencies do, they know what the cost of living is, or at least they should. Good missions agencies will know what the cost of living is, where these missionaries are going, and make sure that these missionaries are, are not so badly wanting to get to the mission field that they go with insufficient funding and then going over there and crashing and burning. Okay, so they make sure... Missionaries will talk to us pastors, and they'll talk to us in terms of a percentage. We've raised 70% of our funds. That's Their mission board has set a number, and they've raised 75% of that number. And when they get to 90 or 95, the mission board will allow them to go, trusting that the other 5 to 10% will come in. Okay? So... That's, that's the protection of the offering, how we make sure it gets to the people that we give it to. It's through missions agencies. Now, turn back to 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and we'll see the final principle. And then we'll get you on your way. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 9, 6. I call this the product of the offering, or what it produces. Okay? And he challenges them there, because again, remember, he's concerned that they're not going to meet what they said they were going to give. And he says, well, you... He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then he challenges them. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But notice verses 8 through 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, God, God wants us to be doing good works, beloved. And so he's going to supply for us to do good works. Now, that's not always in a financial way, right? I mean, in our society nowadays, gift cards are the way, right? It's like, what are you getting for Christmas? Looks like another handful of gift cards. But money's not the only good works that we can be doing. He gives grace to us so that... Verse 8, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you can abound in every good work. God wants you to do good works, so he supplies things for you to be able to do good works. Verse 9, as it is written, he is distributed freely. 
He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And then he's referring to God when he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The product of the offering is righteousness. So principle number one we find in verse 6 is that we should give bountifully. I mean, we, you don't sow two seeds and expect a whole field of corn to grow. So we should give bountifully. We should, principle number two, we should give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. And then he gives us two promises. One, he will give us grace that will provide for our needs. In other words, there's sufficiency there. When we, when we serve God as the highest priority in our life, he will make sure you're fed and clothed. Matthew 6.33, one of my life verses. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. All these things is food and clothing. That's what the world worries about, food and clothing. God says, you serve me first, primary, I'll take care of those things. I'm not going to let you go hungry. So he gives us grace that provides for our needs. But then, promise number two, it says he'll increase our righteousness. It's just an amazing thing. Money is usually talked about in bad ways, right? And In the old King James, it was filthy lucre. You know. We tend to think of money, money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? But here, here in this offering for the poor saints, and here when you're supporting missionaries, here's a way where you can turn money into righteousness. Do you see it? Verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your what? Righteousness. Hmm. So it's not, it's not literal seeds and literal bread. It's you're going to sow finances to support these people giving the gospel and you're going to reap righteousness. So when, listen, when you hear a seed of faith giving and this stuff, your rabbit ears go up. When, when a pastor gets up, and I've heard this even in local churches, you seed faith. You need to have seed faith. You give $1,000 and God will provide you a house. Okay, it's that roundabout way. That's not what that's talking about. You show $1,000, a missionary is able to get to the field, a missionary shares the gospel, and someone gets saved. The angels rejoice and rewards are put to your account. Righteous rewards are put to your account. Not in this life, but in the world to come. Philippians four fifteen through 17, you don't have to turn there, but it says, you Philippians know yourself that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, this is Paul talking, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. The Philippian church was the only one supporting him. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
It's like, I'm not asking you for more money. I just want to be able to share the gospel with more people. And that's going to get put to your account. So for us, when you give bountifully and cheerfully, God will provide for your needs and produce more righteous fruit for your life. So we here at Faith Baptist Church support missionaries through faith promise giving. It's a program based upon uh, biblical principles where a plurality of churches regularly collect money pledged by individual members in order to support missions. Then we entrust it to a missions agency or a church that makes sure it gets to the missionary. Why do we support missionaries through faith promise giving? Well, it's because we have a global command to fill. And we can't do it all by ourselves. So Faith Promise is a program for our local church based upon biblical principles that allows us to support missionaries as commanded in the scriptures. And so this morning, I want you to be praying, what can I give to missions? It may be a one-time gift for the whole year, and you just give yearly. Or it may be that you say, I'm going to start giving a certain amount per month. Now be sure and mark it either on your check in the memo or when you give online. Make sure that you you have what you give to the local church, which is what we use here for local reach, outreach. But then that little extra is for missions or for faith promise. It'll be uh, on the drop down, if you will. But you designate how much you've given of your check. So if you give a check for $100 and you want $10 to go to missions, then you... Mark that, and Clifton will make sure it gets to our missions giving. It's our program, but you be praying, how much can I give? How much can I give to make sure God's mission is completed? And then I'll finish just with who's your king? Who's your king? And are you on the king's mission? Locally, regionally, and globally. Let's serve our King well here at Faith Baptist Church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to look into your word and to to see these principles, to see these commands, to send people on their way in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will be honored and glorified by our giving here at Faith Baptist Church to support missions around the world not just financially, but prayerfully. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.